Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary and Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill. I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity here at the AAVMC. So I'm really excited about this episode. Today, we're going to be talking, my guest and I will be talking about the bystander effect and how to move from a bystander to become an ally. Really, in a nutshell, this show will explore what happens, what you feel, and what to do about it associated with when you observe or witness an act of discrimination or marginalization. So it's really kind of a what you feel when you see it, what to do when you're standing there feeling kind of paralyzed <laughs> and how to kind of move from paralyzation to action. So I'm really excited. I'm joined by Dr. Latanya Craig, the Assistant Dean of Diversity and Inclusion at the Purdue University's College of Veterinary Medicine. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. And so you are relatively new to veterinary medicine. Um, so really into Purdue and the whole kind of shebang here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into our topic. Okay, so um, I actually started here in January, and it, it doesn't seem like it was January. I, I feel like I've been here for a while. I've been doing Are you so saying we aged you? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I, I am charged with uh, developing some uh, diversity professional development programs for all of our constituency groups, uh, faculty, staff, and students, and then also just serving as a resource to students as it relates to our retention if students are coming up with issues. I mean, even faculty use me as a resource too. And so a part of our task is to not only create an environment that is inclusive, but we want it to be an environment where people are happy to come in, they, they feel welcomed, and then they're able to be engaged in some form or fashion and be able to be their full self without feeling as if they're going to be retaliated against. And I came from um, my previous position, I came from the University of Louisville, where I taught some cultural diversity courses. I did that for over 10 years. But I also served as the director of graduate recruitment and diversity retention there, where the task was similar to where I was doing professional development in regards to diversity inclusion as well. Awesome. Well, welcome to veterinary medicine. It's always great. There is additional kind of minority of us who are not veterinarians who get to hang around yeah. and, and hopefully have a positive impact on the profession. So welcome right. to the show and welcome to veterinary medicine. Well, thank you. Thank you. So let's dive in. So we're talking again about the bystander effect. So Latanya, what is that? What is the bystander effect? And so with the bystander effect, and some people don't like that term. Some people like the word upstanding because bystanding is you're just standing by, right? right. Um, so I, I'll be able to, what I'll do is I'll break it down between bystander and then also an active bystander or okay. in other words, upstanding. upstanding. So bystander effect can be best described as inactively. You could be witnessing something bad, something intolerable, something discriminatory, and you stand by, you witness it, and you do nothing. That is a bystander. An active bystander, which could be an upstander, is someone who sees it, they hear it, 
and they find a way to actively intervene, whether proactively or interactively or reactively in order to sort of reduce the risk that may be involved. So how do you get there? <laughs> like, of course, that's what we're going to be talking about this whole time. But for those folks, you witness something. Let's kind of start at the very beginning. So you yeah. observe something going down between a couple of people. Something happens to someone, whether it's it's said or done, that is related to a dimension of difference, right? So it might be racial, it might be, it might be language, it might be gender, you name it it's there. And you're standing there, you see it kind of go down. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, because I think that all of us have had that moment, right? Mm -hmm. All of us have had that moment. What do you feel? Let's kind of give some voice (laughs) and kind of words to what it is that you feel in that moment besides, oh my God, did that really happen? (laughs) Well, you know, in, in some instances, and of course, you know, you are checking to see who's around, right? There is a series of questions that you're constantly asking about whether or not you should intervene. And so there are, I'm not for sure if you are familiar with this article that came out in 1970 about a bystander apathy. And it talked about how people who stand by and who are in the presence of other people, they are less likely to respond. And so uh, an example of that could be there was a woman that was killed in 1964 who was murdered in her apartment and it was going on for over 48 minutes. And there were 38 witnesses that knew that it was happening and nobody called the police. Did you say 38? 38 witnesses in the complex and no one did anything. Mm. And so there was this idea that, okay, I see it. I know it's happening. Oh, I think somebody else is probably going to be the one to call the police. So I don't need to step in. And so there's this assumption that, yes, it's an emergency, but because there's so many of us, somebody else is going to step in. And so when you are in a meeting and you see something like this go down. Sometimes you are looking to see, okay, who is going to respond? I don't want to be the one to do it. And you have, you you do have to go through that series, that checkpoint. Am I witnessing what I think I'm witnessing? Should I intervene? Is this really an emergency? If I do respond, will I be responding correctly? And then a cost analysis of it, right? What are the risks that are associated with getting involved? You go through all of those questions. And so what I, I normally tell individuals is that because I have students like this at all, all the time that will come in my office and they will say that someone said something to them. They wish that they would have intervened, but they really didn't know what to say. And at the end of the day, you have to be okay with the response that you give. So if you do not give a response, are you going to be able to walk into that meeting the next day and be okay knowing what happened the day before? And if you are not going to be okay with it, then it does require a response. And then if you don't respond, what is the impact of not responding? And sometimes if you don't respond, you have to look at the larger impact of what will happen. So sometimes that would mean if there's a stereotype that's thrown across the table, will, if you don't respond to that, will that be the perception that becomes a false reality for some people and they'll start using it again? So you you do have to go through that that sort of reflection and questions. And sometimes you don't have a lot of time to do that, right? Right. Um, <laughs> but it happens the, in the moment. Exactly. The more experience that you get, the more that you are uh, aware of what your values are and what you expect mm. from other people and what you expect people to treat you. I think that gives you some, some sort of encouragement uh, to kind of say something and do yeah. something. 
So you bring up a really great point. And so for those folks that kind of know me outside of just the job, you know, I'm a huge, absurd Law & Order fan. I can watch the same episode over over and over again. And there's countless episodes that kind of get to that example that you were mentioning where people are witnessing, observing, overhearing something horrible happening, right? There's a crime or in this particular, for the purposes of our conversation, you know, something discriminatory or marginalizing that's happening. But in either case, it's, it's bad, right? It's bad. And folks are going, well, I didn't call because I thought so-and-so would call or somebody else would call. And then I am not involved and I am absolved of the responsibility of having (laughs) to do anything, right? right? Because this is not, checking someone is not a pleasant thing, right? You're inviting conflict. Right, right. Right. That is true. And I I honestly think that it is also the way that you deliver the message when you do intervene. So if you know that you are in a meeting and someone says something that is so crazy and you're like, oh, my God, did he just say that? You have to make sure that your emotions are not at a point where it is overwhelming the message to where your emotions are shining through. Because if you do that, then it's not going to be received well. And a person may not be encouraged to change their behavior because they're so caught off guard by the way that you've intervened. And so you have to make sure that you are ready to respond, given how you feel in that moment. And if you don't feel okay in that moment, that means that you might need to step out of the room or wait till the next day, cool off a little bit so that you've cleared, got a clear head about what you want to say and do. So, you know, some words don't come off fly. (laughs) So you've got to be able to, because at the end of the day, this is a teachable moment, right? Right. You're in a privileged position to respond because you are in that moment and you heard it. I think you do have an obligation to say something because you are in that position. Nobody else is. You are. You heard it. You saw it. There is an opportunity there for you to bring to light that awareness um, of how it could impact certain groups or individuals. Um, So if you don't do it at that moment, you have to do it at some point because Because if not, if it goes unchecked, it's going to be more difficult to check someone on it if they've done it 15, 20 times and you're just now saying something because it becomes a norm. It becomes a a norm in the culture that is just accepted and you Mm -hmm. have to be in front of that. That's such a great point. But I kind of want to go back to that emotional kind of the potential for emotional response. And so, you know, in one of our pre-production kind of discussions, we talked about a little bit about what happens when you're observing this and you are also triggered. Right. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is the whole bystander thing is you're witnessing it and there's a air quote trigger, like trigger is its own like, you know, buzzword these days and trigger warnings and all of those kinds of things. But the reality is when you're seeing something and you have this emotional response, it's really based on the fact that what you're seeing is conflicting with your values, right? Or what you, like you're seeing something that you know is like, this is not okay. Right. And so, you know, the point that you raise about <laughs> maybe you need a cool off moment, <laughs> Right, right, right. It's really important. And I think it also raises this thing where I think that that you've laid out, you got to kind of at least go back to it or kind of course correct at some point. But really, does everything need a response? That That's a great question. Um, because you do find yourself, especially dealing with some folks that, that tend to have this behavior and you kind of expect it, right? I don't think everything deserves a response, but the way in which you can decide whether or not you should respond, you could essentially say, okay, is this a 
a behavior of someone that is constantly doing this. And I need to keep bringing it to the forefront because it is so bad that it has all of these larger implications that may occur. You might need to say something if you're in an admissions meeting or if you are in in a meeting where you are, uh, this particular person is stereotyping a particular group and they're trying to persuade other individuals in the room to take on this kind of idea um, that they've are pitching around, you might need to say something all the time to that person so that that person will get tired of you saying something so that they will begin to check what they're doing every time that you're in the room, right? Okay. But on the other hand, if it is something that you know this person may be, and I will say most of us are well-intended people, sure. we, have, we have good intentions. And if you know that this this person has a track record of, of being an ally, someone who is in support of doing social justice work. They have bought into this idea of trying to create a space where we can encourage more advocates to be a part of this plan. And if they slip up and they say something, you might not necessarily have to say something in that moment because this person has a track record of doing well. And I think at that point, you could pull that person to the side and say, hey, you know, you made this comment it didn't settle well with me. And I just wanted to bring your, bring it to your attention that, you know, if someone else heard this, it may have been received in the wrong way. And I just want you to, to check, check that. I mm-hmm. heard it. I don't know if you did, but I wanted to bring it to your attention. So there's, there's a way in which you can do it and still have that teachable moment, but you don't necessarily have to do it in a public setting where everybody hears it, but you have to decide, you know, what, what space is best. There are some folks where I've had to uh, say something in a public setting. It is uncomfortable. You know, you don't know how that person is going to receive it. Everybody doesn't take criticism well. But if I am hearing something that is so discriminatory mm-hmm. that if people walk out of the room and that's lingering, yeah, I am not comfortable. I am not OK with people taking that message and being complicit with it, because if yeah. I don't say anything, people are going to think, well, maybe that is the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. I think that the other thing is that, and we're going to talk a little bit about that decision (laughs) process, which again has to happen pretty rapidly, (laughs) Um, can be challenging for folks to kind of figure out the calculus around what do you do. But I, I know that at least for me, as I've matured in my own career and certainly in diversity and inclusion and social justice work, it's okay to let silence stand for a moment. I think it's really because silence sometimes can be powerful, especially in a group. And if everybody is sitting around and everybody's making eye contact, (laughs) somebody has said something completely off the wall. Sometimes silence for a moment while you kind of collect yourself is a very powerful tool because it's like something stupid has been said. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Everybody heard it, right? Right. Right. (laughs) We're all on the same page that this is not okay, right? Right. And there tends to be in those moments an extraordinary amount of nonverbal communication happening, right? (laughs) It's uncomfortable, but uncomfortable silence can be incredibly powerful and it can be incredibly educational because typically what will then happen as you're trying to also calm yourself and check around, you know, do check in the room, the person who has made the comment, whether intentional or not, also has a moment. Of reflection, like, why is no one talking? (laughs) Because culturally, we're not okay with too much silence in groups, right? We're not okay. And so folks kind of move 
immediately to fill the silence. Sometimes that means that a shovel comes <laughs> out and the hole gets bigger. <laughs> or, or the shovel gets passed to someone else and, and they start trying to fill the hole, right? But learning to be confident in taking that 30 seconds of silence sometimes can be an incredibly powerful tool in the toolbox. So I just kind of want to put that out there because that's at least something that I've learned where I I have been known to just kind of let some stuff hang in the air for a minute. Everybody heard that, right? Right. Right. Sound a little crazy, right? Right. We're all on the same page, right? Okay, now... Right. Now I can actually have a moment to address what was said and like, tell me more, you know, <laughs> the facilitators like toolbox, tell me more about, you know, this crazy thing that has been said. So around this decision tree, right? So what are some of the considerations that are a part of that five seconds <laughs> immediately, the five to 10, or again, that silent 30 seconds that you have or have created a space for to kind of think about the decision around saying something or intervening? I think it's important to note that when you are in a process of trying to decide whether or not you want to intervene, you also have to have a recognition of your own barriers. We all have barriers. And so sometimes those barriers is what informs whether or not we should respond. And so those barriers could be that you're shy, you don't like to speak out in large groups. It could be that, you know, you don't want to respond unless you know exactly that you're doing the right thing. You may not have the right words at the time. And so you don't want it to come off the wrong way. So you're constantly going through, okay, if I do respond, how do I say it? Okay, do I say it this way? You know, let me make it, let me make sure that I check my emotions when I'm saying it. Right. <laughs> uh, you're also looking at the risk factor. Okay. So if I have this barrier and if I do respond, what kinds of responses will I get back? Right. So that could be, would I be ostracized from this group? You know, this me being able to advocate and intervene when it's an unpopular decision may backfire on me. Right. You may also be thinking about job security. If you are and I'm going to use a personal example, if you are a woman of color and you're sitting at a table and you're the only one and this is your first opportunity to be sitting at this table and you hear something off the fly, you may not be so quick to respond because one, you were invited to this table, nobody else was. And so if I say something, will I lose the opportunity to sit at this table again? Or if I am about to be promoted, will they reconsider that promotion, right? Or if I know that I need the folks in this room to support my work, whether it be just their their support or their resources, I know that I have to check this in a way where I am not going to be on the losing end. Mm. So you do have to consider all of those things when you're making decisions. And that's what plays a part in why people respond or why people don't. If you are in a tenured position and you are tenured, you've got a little bit more security. So you can say pretty much whatever you want to say. But if you are in a position and you are staff and you don't have a lot of power in your position or there are power dynamics where if you say something and you know it's your boss that ultimately decides the fate of your position or your pay, that is going to inform how you respond. Right. So what we have to understand is regardless of what barriers we have, 
we have to say, okay, this is my barrier, but how do we get to a place where we are able to remain functional, even though that barrier is present? Because the barrier is not going to go anywhere. The barrier is going to remain the same. But how do you stay productive in that? And then how do you remain content with the response that you give, given that your barrier is there and that the risk is high? So how do you continue to move forward and through that? So one thing that I would always say is that the barrier should never be an excuse to do nothing. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. Right. And so a part of that, uh, which we've not gotten to, a part of bystander training are the three Ds. Okay. All right. And so the three Ds that is used is direct. You can directly say something to the person in the room. Second one is I can distract. I can change the subject, right? Um, I can do something else. Or if I see someone that is being chastised in the room, can I pull the person to the side? Can I cut the conversation? Uh, What is it that I can do in that moment to take the pressure off the person who's being targeted? All right. And then the third one is delegate. If I can't do anything in that moment, I can go to someone and say, okay, I witnessed this person talking to this person crazy. I can't do anything about it, but you have power in your position. I need you to check that. So you could be the one to say something to someone, but you may not be intervening directly, but you are still giving a reactive response, but it might be behind the scenes, right? But there's something in there that you could do. All right. So again, those three Ds are direct, Mm -hmm. distract, and and delegate. And that delegate one, I think is so important because it requires you to also know and understand kind of how broader allyship works, right? And so you have to figure out who your allies are. Before, like you need to be nurturing and cultivating those relationships right. and also making sure that, yeah, you are able to turn to someone who has social and political or positional kind of capital and power that can assist you and be a good ally, right. not just to you as kind of the person who observed this, <laughs> but originally to that person. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was being targeted, right? right? Because part of that, I don't want people to kind of walk away and say, okay, well, I'm good, but you know, <laughs> right? Joe is out there still on the list. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Right. This is yeah. really still about Joe. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. You don't want to lose focus, of course. But, you know, I think the, the part that people don't realize is that when you're trying to be an ally, or even if you don't know if you want to be an ally or not, you this may this problem may not be affecting you in the moment. But who's to say this? You won't be in this situation a couple of years from now. I think that there are a lot of people who use the excuse of being busy to not pay attention to what's happening around them. And people pay attention to that. If I see that you are not involved, if I see that you're not speaking up, and then when the tables are turned and you're in that situation, I may not be so quick to come to your rescue because right. you didn't come to mind when I was in the situation. Right. And so we have to uphold that, that golden rule, right? Treat people how you want to be treated, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that doesn't mean have them do unto you in this moment when it affects you directly, right? Right. It has to be at all times. And so I think that when people see that someone wants to get involved because now uh, they see the problem and now they are open to it, it it doesn't seem genuine. It doesn't seem sensitive. It it becomes a little bit more self-serving. And so people won't be so quick to help in those situations because it's like, 
okay, you're late. We already expressed this problem. We've been dealing with this for right. four years now. And now you've been. Yeah, now you're talking about you don't get paid like everybody else, but this situation been around for 10 years. Right. You want to say something? Where you been? Where you been? So you you can't, you've got to always be thinking about other people when you are responding. It's not always about you, but if I don't say something in this moment and if I accept this pay, right? how is, how hard and difficult will it be for the person who comes behind me who's in the same position? Right. You know, you are setting the standard for folks that are coming behind you. So you always have to think bigger. Yeah. But I think that you, you know, you brought up a a really interesting point and that is really about how this infects that larger work environment. And we're not just talking about in academia, but any work environment, right? We are talking about teams. And so you're sitting there, you observe something or you're in a hallway, you observe something or whatever. What ends up happening when we don't have responses, whether they're direct, whether they're distracting, whether they're delegated, is that there's a real chilling effect on the cohesiveness of the team. Mm -hmm. And you've brought that out where it's like, oh, okay, well, now you're being targeted. Joe been targeted for like five years. Where you been? (laughs) I ain't had nothing to say (laughs) when it was about this person over here. Now you want us to run. And I mean, and again, this is the nature of kind of what ends up being the undercurrent of your team. Like this is all kind of happening under the team and it really does not engender trust. Right. It doesn't engender teamwork. It doesn't engender cohesiveness. And it really does have a chilling effect on the way that the team operates because there ends up being kind of this lack of trust. Like you saw me getting dragged. (laughs) Right. Right. Right? And the reality is that while we're talking about this with respect to diversity and inclusion, this is almost when you're seeing kind of abuse. (laughs) This is really kind of, you know, can certainly be more generalized. But but in that workplace, it can have a really, really detrimental effect on the team. And that's big teams and small teams, like, you know, maybe a small, a small animal practice or something like that, where you only have like, you know, five people. If you've got something like this happening and you've really got only five people, you're going to have some problems. You are. Right. You're going to have some problems. So we've got those guidelines, the three D's, um, but how do we really kind of get that courage to step out and from being a bystander to an upstander? Like, what is the magic that happens there? Well, I, I think the best thing that anyone could do is get informed, being aware about what's happening in your environment. Just because other people may not be necessarily responding um, does not mean that the situation deserves any less of an immediate response. And so if you see something and if you feel it in your gut, most of us feel it. There is a feeling that rises up. It's It's hot. Right, where you start is, oh my God, am, am I in the twilight zone? Right. Is this really happening? When you get that feeling, that feeling should tell you that there is a response that needs to, to happen at some point. If I don't respond in this moment, I'm not okay with the way I'm feeling right now. And my gut is telling me that this isn't right. That is your cue uh, to do something, right? And so if if you don't know how to act in that moment, there are resources. I hope that there's resources within your workspace that you could go to, whether it's even your appear where you can appear that you trust, where you can share this information and reflect back on it. Like, okay, so I heard this. Am I hearing this wrong? Am I wrong to to assume that this is going the way that I think? Like, what do you hear when when I say this to you? Right. 
just so that someone can can check what you're hearing or you can check, you know, check in with someone who was in the room with you and just reflect on, okay, so how do we move forward in this situation? Do we pull this person to the side? Do we bring this up at the top of the meeting the next time to where we can just say, and you can say it anonymously. It was brought to my attention that these comments were made and there were a few colleagues in the room who had issue with that. I want to bring it back to the table and talk about our expectations in this meeting and what is going to be accepted and what we have a zero tolerance for. You know, we want people to walk away from this meeting feeling as if their perspective was supported and engaged. But if it borders the line of being offensive to some folks, and that's where we draw the line. So there is an opportunity to bring it to the attention of someone who may be leading the group or that meeting and give them some pointers on some things that, that they can do to bring the group back together or even put it on the table. And sometimes, and most times I would hope, is that the person would hear that and everybody knows who they're talking about, right? They may come out and say, that was me. I said that. And I didn't mean for that to come off the way that I did. What I meant was, yeah. sometimes what I meant was goes in a different Bring direction. The shovel back out. <laughs> Other times there are folks who are able to be more clear about what they meant meant. and then it gives an opportunity for dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that it also helps us all address this issue that I think we all struggle with, with intent versus impact, right? Um, A lot of times when we talk about diversity and inclusion things and something racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, whatever it is, is said or done, and there is this kind of gentle or not gentle (laughs) um, confrontation about it, folks are like, oh, but that's not what I meant. I'm sorry that you took it that way. I'm like, no, no, Mm -hmm. I understand. And and we are trying to come from a place where we believe that folks are well-intended, but that doesn't absolve you of the impact of what is done or said, right? There's still a responsibility that has to be assumed with the fact that this thing actually happened and people were negatively impacted by it, regardless of your intent. So, so if you don't say anything, what do you feel? How do you feel? Well, I know for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you tell how, how do you feel? And I'll share how I feel. (laughs) No, I know for me, you know, you have that feeling of of guilt. You have that feeling of shame. And if you are in a position like mine and you don't say anything, you have a, a feeling of embarrassment. You have, there's a lot of different, different feelings. I mean, sometimes that could even lead to a depression. I mean, it weighs on your mental health. You're constantly reflecting over that experience and thinking of, I should have said this, I should have did this. And it is okay to not respond. Everybody has those moments where they wish they would have said something or they wish they would have said something different, but it's a teaching moment. Yeah. What that does. So what you can do to be more productive in that space is if this happens to me again, and if I'm in this situation, what will I do? What will I say? And sometimes that means that you have some pre-scripted things and words and phrases that you would bring up in that moment so that you don't get stuck the next time you're in that situation. Let me tell you a a story. Yeah. So in, in a previous position that I had, I was invited to a uh, to sit on the search committee and they were hiring for an upper level administrative position, right? And so in the room, 
not only was I the only woman of color, I was not considered faculty, even though I was teaching, I was in a staff position, but everyone in the room was faculty. All of them were tenured. There were vice provosts and provosts that were sitting on the search committee. And so it was a privilege, right, to be a part of this conversation and to have input on who gets hired for this role. Well, while we're in the conversation and we're going through applications, we had a a phone interview that was part of the first phase of condensing down the number. And after the phone interview, the person says, is she black? Why why does that matter? (laughs) Why why does that matter? And why did that come up? Why did that, what sparked that? Oh, you know, I was just curious because, you know, it would be a diversity hire, right? If, If we know that she's black. What? You know, so you know, you look, that's when you look, do you, does that sound stupid to you? Like it does, you know, so you, <laughs> you know, you're, you're looking around the room. And so, but what I noticed is that every applicant that came up, if it was a man, mm-hmm. there was no question about what he was able to do. Mm. If it was a woman, There was, you know, we just need someone that's going to be not so emotional. This person has to have perspective. This person has to make sure that they're not overwhelmed with what's happening. They even started calling some of the women, the women of color, divas. She seems like a diva. I don't know if we got the kind of resources or if we're going to be able to afford them. These are the comments that are floating in this room, right? And so I'm sitting here. Like, okay, well, that's not necessary. Uh, You can't assume that. We don't know what, how much money she's going to expect. We've not gotten to that point yet. Let's do this interview. And if they are qualified to move on to the next phase, we move there. But all of this, all of these other ad libs that this completely (laughs) added in this conversation, it's not necessary. Cut it off. (laughs) Right. And so it's, it's interesting because a woman of color ended up getting the job. Mm -hmm. But I feel as if because of what was being floating around, I don't think that I did enough, even though I said things, some of it, I started letting it fall on deaf ears because it was just like, okay, I'm seeing these things not going anywhere. I'm not going to keep bringing this up. Right. But they ended up hiring a woman of color and they fired her in 90 days. Wow. They fired her. I knew that it was going to end that way. When she got hired, hired. based on the conversations that was happening in that Mm. room. Mm. And I feel as if and that's one of the experiences that I've had where I keep reflecting over and over. Okay, what is it that I that I should have did? What is it that I should have said? What is it that I could have done to move the needle to where people wouldn't have been so critical of her when she she came into the room? Because there was already this narrative that was Mm -hmm. painted for her before she took the job. And she was in a a lose lose situation when she decided to not take Mm -hmm. the job, Mm -hmm. you know, take the job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that you bring up a a couple of different things that I kind of want to highlight with that story. And that is one, again, that whether or not you feel like you're a part of the team, right? right. Because you almost feel like you're supposed to be a part of the team, but you're still yeah, kind of guest starring in a guest role. <laughs> right. You're a guest star on the right. team. <laughs> right. Right. right, Meaning that you're, you recognize that you didn't have some elements of power being in the room and that your, your guest invitation could be rescinded at any time. Right. So right. there's that. 
And then there's also this when you don't respond or you kind of give up. And I'm not saying that giving up is a bad thing because at right. some point you kind of have to cut your losses and figure out what's next, right? Uh, right, self-care. But I do think that that what I want listeners and viewers to understand is that without someone in the room to being empowered to kind of be able to come become yeah. an, uh, an upstander, yeah. a couple of things have happened. Yeah. One, you have a bit of a flawed process, not a bit, but a flawed process yeah. that resulted in a hire that really wasn't a good fit, right? Yeah. So that's cost everybody a lot of time and money, (laughs) everybody, and then you have to do it all over again. You've cost that candidate some time and resources as well, because they were kind of looking for this opportunity, hoping for this opportunity, only to find out that this opportunity really wasn't going to be a good fit very shortly after being hired. And so no one wins in that scenario. No one wins. And part of it is because there was a culture that allowed this and there was a marginalization of the of the couple of people probably in the room to be able to turn and move from a bystander to an upstander. Yeah. And so I think that, that there are a couple of different pieces here that I think are really, really, really important for people to understand and appreciate how chilling and detrimental these effects can really be. Right. Right. I know for me, I will, you know, to use my ruminary vocabulary, ruminate (laughs) on these things potentially for days. If I'm not, if I don't give the type of response that I both accept from expect from myself and my value systems, but also my position here at AAVMC, I'm constantly kind of not just gut checking, but replaying it, kind of thinking about what that script should be like, worrying about the well-being of the person who I observe being targeted, worrying about what could have, you know, what did I not use whatever power and privilege I have Mm -hmm. to kind of um, you know, turn things around. Um, how does it make me feel? What am I going to feel when it happens to me? Because it's going right. <laughs> to happen right. to me. Right. And, and it can happen to anybody right. around the right. table, right? right? But but it's going to happen. Right. Um, and it's going to happen. And, you know, one thing that I tell people all the time is in, in these moments where you don't move from bystander to upstander, I'm like, well, the thing about, you know, isms is that there's constantly new opportunities that will present themselves for you to get a do-over. Right. Just wait. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. You know, if there are folks that are actively practicing discrimination and marginalization and you don't respond that one time, don't worry. (laughs) It's only Tuesday. (laughs) It's only Tuesday. You got at least three more days before it probably pop off. Like, it's gonna happen. Right. And that's so true. That is so true. <laughs> so there's an opportunity for you to kind of still move <laughs> from yeah. from you know bystander to upstander or ally. Right. Don't worry. Right. They are reliable that way. <laughs> right. That, that's so true. That is so true. Oh my God, it's so true. It's kind of sad though, right? But it's so true. Yeah. But but you are right. You know, the the weight of not acting is indeed a heavy load. And, you know, you, you constantly, it, it just, it Im- impairs your body, right? Yeah. It impairs your mental health. It impairs your physical health, your ability to critically think, 
Shoot, it might even make you apprehensive about developing relationships with certain people based off of the response that they give in a moment or the non-response that they give in a moment. Because you start assessing, you know, I don't think I can trust you because I don't like the way that you responded in that manner or the words that you said. And that can create some some dissonance to some between some folks. And so it there's a lot of things that are packed in in a, a situation like that that people witness and people are observing how people respond or don't respond. Relationships are on the line. Other opportunities are on the line. All of those things come into play. But that I do think that that is something that people have to recognize is that it may not be, it may not affect you as harshly as someone else, but it does affect someone and especially affects the person who's being targeted and no one did anything. Right. It's really going to it may even silence them in the moment in the next meeting to where they feel as if they contribute. They their response won't be valued. We don't want to create a culture where people feel isolated and they feel as if they can't contribute to uh, to the larger community. Right. And again, you know, that those folks that that withdraw. Right. Guess what? The next the next performance evaluation. Well, Joe. Right. You haven't been really a vocal as vocal and you're not really kind of stepping up and you're not really. Yeah, because I got dragged to right. a meeting and nobody said anything. Right. right. It's so true. <laughs> you know, and so it doesn't I think that that folks need to understand that those moments seem very isolated, but they actually can c- compound over time. Right. And again, yeah, you withdraw, then your next performance evaluation, you didn't do this, you're not really engaged in the meetings, we're not really sure what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, Susan, we're not picking on people called Susan. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you know, Susan is not kind of being checked for because Susan is very engaged in the meeting. And very, you know, and saying all kinds of stuff, but it has this chilling effect on a team member. So those things are really important. So the flip side, the upside, how do you feel when you actually have kind of practiced direct (laughs) deflect or or delegate? What's that feel like? Well, you know, I think it's, it's the same feeling as you would have when you're doing good work. Right. Good deeds, that that Mm -hmm. feeling of being energized full, the fact that you are feeling valuable. Right. Because you're able to contribute in a way. And it also helps you mentally. It promotes mental health because you're not carrying the load around and reflecting on what you should have did. It reduces that level of stress because it's not something that you're carrying with you. And it may even encourage you to look for other ways in which you can intervene so that you can become uh, as an advocate. You know, when I walk into the room, I would like for people to think that, okay, I know that there are certain things that I shouldn't say because you're in this room. And I know that there are certain things that I shouldn't do because you're present. And that's the kind of presence that we should all hope to have. That doesn't mean that when I walk into the room, people don't still say some crazy stuff, right? But I hope that the reputation is that when I walk into the room, that it would make people second guess on making certain comments because I'm in the room, right? And anybody can have that regardless of title, right? You want to, what is it that that is that you carry around, whether it's your bag, whether it's a book that you're carrying, what is it that displays your values without saying a word? Mm. So is it so if you if you come into a room and then you've got a, a Malcolm X book in your, you know, in your hand, I know that, uh, you know, you you are interested in some social, some real deal social justice <laughs> revolutionary work. Right. right? So I might need to check what I say around you. Right. But there are there are things that we can do proactively 
that could suggest what your values are, what your expectations are, whether it's the books, whether it's that you've got a safe zone card on the outside door, the fact that you, you know, you are interested in the Black Lives Matter movement, different slogans, all kinds of things that you could do in your space that would reflect certain things that would make people check what they say and who they are without you having to intervene. So those are some Mm -hmm. proactive steps that you could do. But I know that at the end of the day, there are some folks that will say, well, it's not my responsibility to get involved. I don't think I have any responsibility to intervene. And I, I get that. There are some folks that will that will say that. So the question is, what responsibility do we have to someone who is being targeted? Right. So here's a it's a it's a complex. It's a complex. Okay. <laughs> So again, you know, I am spiritually led and I do believe in the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But I also know that we don't live in a perfect society. You know, we talk about the greater good. We should do good things for the greater good, but we forget the greater good often takes the most risk and shoulders the burden of acting in a popular situation. So it would be irresponsible for me to say that all people should act and intervene because I know that the level of risk is not the same for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. There are some social and cultural implications that may stop a person from wanting to intervene. Um, So, for instance, I can take something like an emergency situation. If I see, uh, given the history of what's been happening with our African-American males, if I see two individuals who are fighting and I know that it is escalating to the point to where we have to get law enforcement involved, I may not be so quick to call 911. Because I have seen the outcome of when police gets involved dealing with African-American males. And so that may trigger whether or not I respond in that way. Now, are there some other things that I could do possibly? But law enforcement may not be my first choice, right? Right, right. Because I'm thinking about, okay, I've seen the outcome of this and it doesn't look good. There are some instances where it could be, but that's a risk that I would be taking. And so I understand that there are implications that may inform whether a person responds or not responds. And sometimes not responding may be your best choice in that matter. But you have to kind of decide, you know, what route you want to go with that and be okay with that decision, regardless of what it is. Yeah. So I think that you've brought up this kind of this concept of signaling, kind of signaling your values and kind of making sure that kind of, you know, the folks that you are around, whether at work, at play, at home, family, that there's kind of an an understood value set that you've kind of signaled or discussed or, you know, overtly or, you know, subtly that there's kind of some clarity around who you are and what your perspective framework is, right? Um, And that really does shape things. I will say for me, feelings that I feel when I don't intervene or step in are also the feelings that guide me the next time. Because again, it might only be Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's still five more days of the week (laughs) or something. Right. May or may not present itself and pop off. I have right. another opportunity, but it guides me for the next time. Yeah. And I take that piece of information and in that decision tree around whether or not I engage, that piece of information also gets factored in. Like, And it is. It is a very selfish piece of information. Mm-hmm. It's not that I just want to help and be an ally to the well-being of the person being targeted. But I don't want to feel like this. Right. 
Right. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to feel this way. So what do I need to do to sleep at night? Right. Right. Or feel, or that I'm not at, you know, the McDonald's drive-thru picking up a burger for my kid going, you know, I really should have probably said something in that meeting two days ago. I know. And I, I understand that sometimes you, you sometimes you don't have like a you're not clear headed in the moment yeah. when you're there. And so I, I give you got to give yourself grace at yeah. the end of the day. Um, and you, you always have an opportunity to repair uh, what may have happened in that moment. It doesn't necessarily have to be in that moment, although you always feel like you do because there's other people who are also watching yours. And you may feel like you have to say something in that moment or people are looking to you to say something. You 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 have to set it on your own terms and be OK when you say it and how you say it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in that moment. But at the end of the day, if you know that not saying anything in that moment would have a larger impact, I think we have an obligation to say something. But give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. You've got to. We all make mistakes. Sometimes we all say things that we shouldn't have said. And sometimes we say things that didn't come out the right way. Right. Right. Um, right, right. But there's a, there's an opportunity to do some cleanup. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's only Tuesday for me, too. <laughs> right, right. And, and, but you know what, though? Something that I didn't emphasize, though, is although the risks are not the same for all groups, I think that's when bystander, being a bystander and upstander is most useful. Right. Are you that? OK, I did see you. Um, it's most useful if you know that this person is in a position that does not have a lot of power or they're in a disadvantaged uh, situation. I would hope that someone in the room would witness that and would intervene and either show support by filling in the gaps or at least doing something that would take the pressure off the person that is being targeted in the room. This is where we need more people to step up and say something. And that support should be unyielding. It shouldn't be about who's in the room. It shouldn't be about whether anybody else responded before you did. It's about doing the right thing at that time. And sometimes it's also um, that first person who is able to break through that wall. Typically, my experience, other allies are encouraged and inspired by that to also break through their walls. So right. recognize that, that there is um, that component as well, that when you step out, you may not always end up being just by yourself. Right. You may actually have given voice to a whole group of folks around you that also are feeling and experiencing kind of the moment in very similar ways. The last thing that I'll say as we as we wrap up is, you know, after said events, go check on the tar- person that was targeted. Just yeah. check on them. Just check in yeah. with them. Make sure that they're okay. Because again, there's not, it's not just that, oh, Joe feels bad, but this really does have a larger impact on the work environment, on the social environment, but also that individual's well-being. So, you know, certainly they've seen you move from, you know, bystander to upstander ally in that moment, but also making sure that you kind of just connect with that person and say, hey, that wasn't okay. I just kind of want to check on you, want to grab a coffee, want to talk about it. If they don't want to talk about it, that's cool. But just, you know, just just check in. But but I will say this, though, if you check in with that person, 
You also have to understand that if you're checking in and they realize that you have now witnessed it, if it happens again, there is going to be a level of expectation that they will expect of you to, to chime in in that moment. Not just coming to check on me behind closed doors, yeah. but saying something in public and showing that you are not in agreement with the way that someone is, is treating them. Yeah. So know that checking in is great, but there does come a level of responsibility with that should it happen again. All right. Great. Well, this has been a great conversation, Latanya. Thank you so much for coming on the show and kind of helping us kind of sift through <laughs> the calculus of deciding <laughs> to say something, you know, but the reality is it's it's very much kind of like the the kind of terror, anti-terrorism adage, see something, say something, do something, right? Yeah. Try not to just stand there and, and letting folks wreak havoc <laughs> right. on your team, you know, not just that individual, but on your team. Right. So, all right. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you so much. All right. So this has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. You can find the podcast on most podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iTunes. Well, I guess iTunes is going away. Alexa, just tell Alexa to play AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion <laughs> on Air. You can find us um, just about anywhere and sh- be sure to like and subscribe to our a- the AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast Facebook page where I post lots of great information and um, articles about all kinds of different things related to diversity and inclusion in higher ed, as well as in the general kind of workforce population things as well. So with that, we will check in the next time again. Dr. Craig, thank you so much for such a great conversation about bystanders. Thank you.